Can you hear me? Okay, I'm on, right? How about some lights? Can I get some lights? How about that? I guess not, huh? How's that, Miss Ashley? Some light on the situation. I got two Ashleys here now. I got Ashley here and I got Ashley back there. So, well, let me give you guys a benediction. How's that? May the God of all grace richly bless us as we navigate his word, knowing he can do exceedingly, abundantly, all that we ask or think. Okay, so let's just recap quickly what we talked about last week as we continue in the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis. I think we start in, we're in the 30, we're in the 31st chapter already of Genesis, so we are, by grace, moving along. So last week we encountered the great escape, remember? As Jacob, by way of divine realization, had come to realize that it was time for him to go back to the promised land. God had used 20 years of Jacob's exile to bring about a people that would serve him, and these people would eventually acknowledge that he is God and there is no other. God is, see, God here, I, 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 I want to say this, and I, I think we don't realize this. Uh, we mentioned this a couple of times, that God, no matter what the human machinations were, God was bringing a people unto himself, despite the, you know, the Rachel and the Leahs and the Jacobs. God was using his people because he loves his people, he's called his people, and he was using his people to bring about the people of God, uh, in this case, the 12 tribes of Israel, and eventually would turn into the church. So again, we want to look at those things inside God's sovereignty. We have mentioned on many occasions that God reigns on the just and the unjust, and Laban had been blessed by God despite his deceptions and his abuse of God's people, namely Jacob and his two daughters. Laban, in fact, would only give lip service to God, especially while Laban was on the receiving end of God's blessings. And we mention this. God reigns on the just and the unjust. Even the people that hate him. God gives them money. He gives them jobs. He gives them food. But now Laban's time had run out, and as we know, God is not to be mocked. And there's going to be people in this world, their time is going to run out. And even though God has given them temporal blessings, it's going to run out. We also looked at the provisions God had provided for Jacob in giving him flocks and herds and how God had bypassed Laban's cheatings and still brought about prosperity for Jacob and his covenantal family, I meant the posterity. So here, God is again raising up a people, even though Laban is, is who Laban is, he's obviously not a people of God, but God is working in that way. And I mentioned this last week, and I, I don't know if I resonated this. And try to get this, because America is really haters of God. They're an evil nation. It is only because of God's people. It is only because God's elect in this world that God keeps this place going. Hoping and praying that some will come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what it's about. It's not about the world. It's not about politics. It's not about none of that. It's about God. And God is preserving this world for his people to come in. And he's preserving this world for the elect of God, for God's people in this world. I mean, this is the God we serve. That's what he did with Jacob. Despite Jacob being around Laban, despite Jacob being around the evil machinations of Laban, God preserved him. And God was going to bring about a people that's going to start with the 12 tribes and eventually turn into the church. What a God. We serve. And sometimes we don't think of God in that, in that mindset. Listen, you know, Nick, when me and Nick used to talk a, a lot, and we still do, not as much as before, because, you know, lives have taken us uh, different turns. 
But if God be God, right, Nick? I mean, just think about it. I mean, this is the God of the universe, and sometimes we think he's just like a small God. I mean, this God, Devon, is ruling and reigning. He's sitting on the throne. Everything that's happening in this world is according to his purposes. And we don't want to be small-minded. We don't serve a small God. Even Laban's daughters had realized that their father had treated them like nothing more than slaves because at the end of the day, like we mentioned, Laban was for Laban. And there's going to be people, and I want to get to the text in a second, but there's going to be people in this world that we will be around as Christians. And they will be people that As long as things are going okay, they'll be okay with us. But the minute that those things turn around, they will be against us in two minutes flat. And so we have to realize when we read the Bible, these are biblical principles that play out in this world. Whether you're on your job site, whether you're in in family, And the thing is, do we take this serious enough? And Jacob, I mean, I think about this, you know, me being in prison and stuff like that and thinking of those things. Jacob had to be taken 500 miles away from home with his brother Esau screaming vengeance at him. And we'll deal with that in a couple of weeks or next week, I should say, depending on how far I get next week. But so now we're going to get to the part here that's going to what we call the great escape. And you're going to, please understand, let me read the text first. Let me go to 31, let me go to 21, let me go to 31 and 21. I think that's where we're starting. Um, yes, so, uh, uh, so let's look at this. So he fled, this is Jacob, with all that he had. And he arose and crossed the river and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead, or Palestine. Then it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. And God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night and said to him, Beware lest you speak to Jacob, either good or bad. So Laban caught up with Jacob. I, you know, let me just stop there. I love that we get what the divine author sees. Now, just think about this. this don't, think about the privilege that you just have right here in the text. The divine author tells you that Laban is pursuing Jacob basically to kill Jacob. Or at least take him back by, by captive. But the divine author tells us that he can either speak to Laban, good, uh, Jacob, good or bad. Praise God for that. And we get a hint of that there. So Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And Laban with his relatives camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and not tell me so that I might have sent you away with gladness and with songs, with tambourine and with lyra and not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Now you have acted foolishly. And it is my hand to do evil against you. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Beware of speaking either good or bad evil to Jacob. So now you have indeed gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods, little G? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, because I said, Lest you take your daughters from me by force. The one whom you find your God shall not live in the presence of our relatives. Recognize what is yours among my belongings. Take it for yourself. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. 
stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maidservants, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban fell through all the tent, but did not find them. Last verse here. And she said to her father, let my Lord, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is upon me. So he searched and did not find the household idols. As I was reading this text, and I mentioned this before, but as I was reading this text, I was thinking about the author here, Moses, and how we would reflect on these sacred texts as we've just read. It would not surprise me to think that Moses would say, I went through the same ordeal with Pharaoh in Egypt. So here we see another pursuit of God's people, this time by Laban. In fact, it's an exodus for God's people from an evil tyrant. Again, Moses could relate. And we will see that God brings victory to his people because evil will never have the last say. You know, so you think about this. You might say, well, what, what does this have to do with us? We know that this is a great story and it's an important story. You know, leaving the hands of a tyrant. And we know the story from Exodus when the people of God. But do you know that the world is pursuing you as a people of God? Do you know the world, and, and it's, they are pursuing you. They want to hold you captive as a people of God. They want, you to, they want to cognitively contaminate you with the world's ideas and their ideologies. Ain't nothing changed but the zip code. Though they, Laban wants to hold Jacob captive, he cannot. Though the Egyptians wanted to hold the people of God captive, but he could not. Well, same way the world today is trying to hold you captive with its ideologies that are infiltrating the church as we speak. That's real stuff. Because today, if the enemy can soften the gospel, if he can make the gospel of non-effect, he has taken you captive. Glinda, just like the Egyptians had taken them captive, and just like Laban had taken Jacob captive. But God's true people will prevail. And that's what we see here. You know, so we, we got to line this up for today because we look at this and we say, yes, but this is really important stuff. There's a sense that the world wants to do away with God's people. But the Bible says, fear not, little flock. It's God's pleasure to give you his kingdom. Now, think about this. Now, you, you listen. Twelve fish. Well, I shouldn't say that. Rachel corrects me on this. Twelve apostles, they weren't all fishermen, twelve apostles who were mostly fishermen over against the whole Roman Empire. Now, wait a minute. You can't, this is like, listen, you talk about the United States of America versus Dominic Romaldi. That's nothing. The whole Roman Empire against twelve mainly fishermen, twelve apostles And the Roman Empire could not stop them. And we sometimes are so weak. And we feel like we're cowering. Right? We feel like we're we're so weak in these, these voices in the world today. Whether it's the, say, the LGBTQ community or communities like that who are such a minute faction with such loud voices. And look at us as a church, as a people of God, how we have been silenced by the world. We've been silenced. We have no voice. Are we afraid to speak? Do we see the God of the universe who has taken his people out of bondage? And today we want to be cognitively 
cognitively contaminated with worldly ideologies, and now they're infiltrating the church. It's a sad occurrence. Rachel, Terry, Dave, we've become a weak people. The church has become weak. And we serve a sovereign God. The apostles tried to be stamped out by the Roman Empire. But they prevailed as, as the, you read the summary statements in the book of Acts, as God's people increased despite the Jewish and Roman backlash. So in reality, Laban has no chance, but nevertheless, that does not stop him from pursuing his nephew with Laban's other relatives. Deception will take people where they do not want to go. Even though Yahweh warns Laban, now think about this, man. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. Listen, I'll preach to myself. I can turn around. How can I preach to myself? Can I? We don't have the camera. I can preach to myself. But I need to hear this. Yahweh warns Laban not to speak good or bad concerning Jacob. And Laban will not disobey. On the other hand, he still overtakes Jacob, as we will see in verse 23. Now think about this. He tells Laban... You cannot, you cannot speak good or bad to Jacob. He tells the world, you cannot speak good or bad to Harlan. You cannot speak good or bad to Sonny. Because God is the one that blesses. God is the progenitor of this. Laban was going there with a blind rage, but God of the universe has a governor on evil. It can only go so far. Mark, praise God for that. Or we'd be in trouble, Caroline. Caroline, we would be in trouble if God did not have a governor on evil. He said, he told Laban, you cannot do you only can do what I allow you to do. And this, these are biblical principles, but still we cower today. We see a picture. Now, this, think about this. Okay, so think about this. We have a, okay, don't charge me on this. These are Ashley and Nick's three children. You have, and someday they're all going to be in school, right? Or homeschooled. But some, but some people can't afford the homeschool. So today, you have kids going to school, and you have these schools disciplining these children. Sometimes they're even hitting them in some of these schools. Now, think about this. God is Father, right? He's the only one that can discipline you. When the world tries to discipline you, he will step in. Now, it's different if the, kid, if they, the school turns around and tells Ashley and Nick, listen, the kids are being a little this, you need to speak to them. That's different. But the world has no power over the people of God. And today they're taking that power. And we have to be careful of that. There's a divine ownership. If you are truly a child of God, you are divinely owned by the sovereign of the universe. And you need to praise God for that. I mean, you've got to praise God. And this is what this shows us here. Even though 20 years in bondage. How did I say this? Um, in fact, we see today, especially in some school environments where teachers are actually hitting children, which of course is not their place. They're not the parents. Yes, by all means, tell the parents when the ch children have overstepped and let them deal with it. Same here. Laban has no right. Only God does.
But how we don't think about this, how we don't think about who is on our side, we've become weak, me, me first. God told Jacob at Bethel, I will watch over you, I will care for you. And again, Laban's authority cannot trump God's sovereignty. You know, I read this, this was great, man. Fokelman in his book, Narrative Art, in the book of Genesis, says God has corked the bottle of Laban's aggressiveness. What a picture of God closing one's aggressive actions. So as Laban catches up to Jacob, verse 25, is it not ironic that Laban tells Jacob, why have you deceived me? Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Are you kidding me? He's accused Jacob of exactly what Laban has done. Listen, the word deceive here means, why have you stolen my heart? And besides stealing my heart, you've taken my daughters like captives with a sword it's, it's, it's actually a, Alter says it's actually a herding cattle term. You've taken my daughters as you were herding cattle. But think about this. I want you to think about the Hebrew language here. It's really amazing. There's an idiom here. Laban basically would say to Jacob, listen, this is great. You stole my heart. And someone has stole my gods. This idiom in Hebrew means that that's where Laban's heart's at. With his gods. With his idols. With his little statues. And we'll talk about that in a little bit with Rachel and how that plays out. But the idiom there is that you've stolen my heart, which are really my idols. That's a serious, that, 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 that's, that's actually somebody showing you who they are. You know, so you look at that, and that's where Laban's life has played. That's, and so we, we think about these things, we want to be careful. The accusation of Laban is misplaced. Jacob did not take his daughters captive. In fact, the daughters wanted to leave, as we saw last week. Because in some sense, Laban has kept his daughters captive for his own advantage. Even when he gave their hands in marriage, it was for his gain. Just like he wanted to keep Jacob captive. And this is this word captivity, man, it keeps popping up in this text. Captivity, captivity. Isn't that what the world wants to do today to us? Hold us in some type of bondage, in some type of captivity. Man, I'm telling you, this is the world we live in today. The world wants to hold us in this bondage, in this captivity of these mindsets, of these ideologies. And we're buying them hook, line, and sinker. And we got to be careful. We don't serve a little God. We do not serve a little God. You know, basically what makes you laugh or make you cry, I know by experience that one is, when one is breaking law, one gets caught, it's over. There's no turning back. Laban here, according to Hamilton, seems to be the plaintiff, but in reality, he's the defendant. Laban... Laban in the past has dictated outcomes, but here outcomes would be dictated to him by the judge of the universe. Listen, evil's not going to have the last say, Charlie, I'm telling you. It's not going to have the last say, Jan. God's justice sometimes comes slow. Again, Moses would be familiar with that as Pharaoh had disregarded God's word on many occasions for many years until God brought the judicial gravel down. Same here because in God's economy, justice delayed is not justice denied. Praise God for that. You know what the Bible says? Listen, I don't know if we, this is what the Bible says and we have to think about this. No one can lay a charge against God's elect. Nobody, nobody. I don't know if we look at that, them words, Harry. No one, 
not principalities, not powers. No one can lay a charge against God's people. And how many times do we feel condemned or we know nobody can lay a charge against God's elect? Nobody. Not even yourself. And I think, well, again, I, I'm, I'm looking at Jacob and I'm looking at the God that he serves. Verse 27 seems absurd. Now, think about this. I mean, you think, I mean, I mean, listen, I'm not that smart, but listen to this. Look at verse 27. Laban conjures up a far-fetched picture of heartwarming farewell. I would have sent you away with tambourines and harps. Wouldn't all of a sudden he became Liberace, this guy? I mean, I mean wait a minute, Terry. This is, oh, wait, I would have. This guy's a tyrant. Now he's Liberace? I'll send you away with tambourines and things. Nikki, number one. Well, I mean, what did, imagine Laban doing this. Wait, let me get behind my piano and I'll play for you. And I'll have some people dance. This is Laban. You should have let me know. I would have sent you away with a party. Yeah, he would have sent him. Well, you would have a party you would have sent him away with. Again, there is humor in the Bible. Some of it's really funny. Even the stuff when we get to Rachel in a second. But there is humor in the Bible. I mean, can you picture this type of scene? It's nonsensical. Laban, again, is passing the baton as victimizer to victim. On the other hand, look at 28 and 29, especially in 28 and the beginning of 29. Laban, now think, you, you got to understand this. You really have to understand this. Laban, in that culture, has the right, legally, has the right to... Kill Jacob, disband his daughters. As the head of the household, he has the right to do that. Right? I mean, so you, we have to understand this is, so notice what, I think it's in 29. Let me just see. It is here. It is in my hand to do evil against you. But the God of your father spoke to me last night. Do you see who's sovereign? Do you understand that Laban can do this? But he says, no, because the God of your father spoke to me. Joe, he's sovereign. In that culture, Laban had every right to do what he wanted to do. And don't you think if God didn't speak to him, he would have? Evil can only go so far. God is not the author of evil, but he can use it for his good. And the evil displayed by Laban will be turned on his head, but God's people, but for God's people will turn out for good. What Laban meant for evil, God means for good. Now think about this. Now Laban, he's, now think about he gets, Laban is a weird cat. He says, he comes to, he seems to come to an understanding of Jacob wanting to get back to his father Isaac. But then we're told about stealing of Laban's household gods. Now, Sarna makes a great point. I was reading about this. He, he said, anything spoken by Laban, you've got to take with a grain of salt. Really. I mean, Laban can't be trusted. It sounds like, oh, I know you want to get back to your father, but why did you steal my gods, Right. You know, he's like, you know, he's always trying to make himself in the right. Laban gives us no reason to ever trust his words. The blessing, the blessing here for Jacob is that whatever Laban says would have no bearing on what God ordains. Whatever Laban says, whatever accusations he says, will never have any bearing on what God has ordained. Praise God for that. On the other hand, Jacob does, does express his fear of Laban. The social convention in that day would put Laban in total control of the situation. But as we mentioned, God trumps the cultural mandate. He can take his wives, he can take his daughters, especially if Jacob was found guilty. Dave, I got one for you. 
I was thinking about this. Jacob, from the beginning of his journey, would have to rely solely on God. He was separate from his immediate family, 500 miles away from home. And when he started out, as mentioned, like Dylan says, he was like a rolling stone, a complete unknown with no direction home. But now by God's grace, you guys don't know anything about that song? You know that song, right, Dave? Right? But he was like a rolling stone with no direction home. He was a complete unknown. And now by God's grace, he has a direction home. And as always, he's known by God. In fact, it is God and God alone that must bring him home. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? Do you see this? I mean, 20 years this guy was basically under the bondage of, of, of Laban. 20 years. But God is going to bring him home. Whatever I'm telling you, whatever you may be going through is just for a season. Bonita, it's just for a season because at the end of the day, God is sovereign. I mean, really, we know, we know that Laban, we know Laban was the cultural sovereign of that day. But he's not sovereign over God. He's not. And man, you need to hear that. I know that we feel, listen, I don't want to get Terry riled up, but we need to, we need to fight back. We need to fight back. We, and I'm not saying it would force and none of that, we, but we need to, let's not be afraid of these tyrants, Patty, of the world. They're a, they're a drop in the bucket. To who God is. And we get pushed around. We just get pushed around. And, 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 and we don't realize. The sovereignty of God. We don't. Me first. You second. God is in control of everything. And he's in control of our families. There's a theological issue. That has to be dealt with. And Daub depicts that in, that in that culture. Now think about this. Any type of theft. Is in the absolute power of the head of the clan. Jacob has put. Jacob has put Rachel. In harm's way. Probably thinking. Who would steal Laban's gods. So we got to explore Rachel's motives here. Because here's the deal. In that culture. If somebody gets caught stealing, they can be put to death. So now Jacob has no idea what's going on here. We know that. But we want to know Rachel's mindset. Now we think about here. Let's think about the search of Laban. He starts out with Jacob's tent because he believes that Jacob is the culprit. But he finds nothing. And then he proceeds to Leah's tent and again finds nothing. And then as we know... He goes to the scene of the crime and as we're told that Rachel has these household gods and hid them in the saddle, but they were not found. Verse 34. Because Rachel deceived her father like her father had deceived them on many occasions. The gods, they, the Bible says, was actually hidden in the saddle. Now, Laban would not question his daughter's unclean privacy. But think about this. Fokelman depicts these gods who are so crucial to Laban are reduced to sanitary towels. Think about, think about the gods that Laban is looking to find are reduced to sanitary towels. Right? So... Matthews depicts that such disrespect of a daughter for a father caps off the author's be, be, belittlement of Laban. It was her payback for his violation of her wedding plans. Basically, Laban will come up empty in every attempt to reclaim anything. Like the Egyptians of a later day would recover nothing and lose everything and drown in the Red Sea. If Laban was a gambling man, he would roll snake eyes. And lose everything. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. But there's a looming question. 
There's a looming question. Before we turn the page, does this mean that Rachel was an idol worshiper? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, first, doesn't tell us exactly, right? But what kind of gods could they, these be if Laban had to try to find them? Were they hiding from him? But like the exodus of a latter day, this is a judgment on false gods. And like Jordan depicts, shouldn't these gods protect Laban instead of Laban trying to protect them? That's the irony of the situation. At the end of the day, is only one true God, maker of heaven and earth. And, and the thing is, I think there's a mockery here. And we, I think we'll find out later that, you know, Rachel is a God-fearer. But there's a mockery here. And, and at the end of the day, Laban's heart was in those little gods that he worshipped. I was thinking about the other day about what are some of the things in this world that people sell their soul for. Ron, I was thinking about this because when you look at this, you look at Laban, he has sold his soul for riches and, and things of that nature. But there are so many people in this world. The question is, what are you sold out to? Family, money, friends, jobs. And I look at Laban, and Laban is sold out to what's for Laban. And I wonder, you know, we spoke about this in Bible study this morning, as um, everybody likes to pick on me in Bible study, but we spoke about this in Bible study that, you know, the Bible says that either you're on the wide road or you're on the narrow road. In fact, I asked Dave when he came in, I was, he walked in in the middle of the Bible study, and I think what people don't realize is that the wide road are people in the church that are not really in the church. It's not people outside in the world. The wide road people are the people that are in the church but are not really in the church. It's the narrow road. It's the people that adhere to the word of God and do it that are true people of God. Not everybody that works, walks in the church is truly God's people. We know that. But people don't like to hear that today. Right? And we, we spoke about that. So here, what God is doing is God is separating a people for himself. He's actually bringing his people out of the world now in, in the Laban uh, incident. Let's go to 36 and 44. Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of your household goods? Place it here before my relatives and your relatives that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks, that which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was by day. <clears throat> the heat consumed me and frost by night and my and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years, you and your younger daughters, for six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the dread of Isaac, had not been for me, surely you would now have sent me away empty. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered the decision last night, because he's a true judge. Two more verses. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day, these daughters of mine, or to the children whom they have borne? So now come, let us cut a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. 
The crux of these passages is that Jacob is declaring God to be ultimate judge of the universe. God has seen the affliction that Jacob has endured and has rewarded Jacob because you can only go so far with God's people. God has given Jacob great spoil. He has challenged Laban on what his transgression was. Jacob wants to know why he has hotly pursued him without naming his offense. And the only offense would be the stealing of the household gods for which Jacob has been deemed innocent. But the resolution would take place only between Jacob and Laban, verse 44. Probably not to cause Laban any further embarrassment or his proof of guilt with the relatives. So be a good reader of the text. Though it's hard to believe that Laban can be embarrassed about anything, Jacob is deemed to be innocent and to improve and guilty. On the other hand, these how courtroom matters were decided in those days. There was no jury or judge. I almost fell. There was no jury or judge. The courtroom matters were decided by the clan. This is how they this is how they decided matters in those days. You know, the Bible says that we're going to judge angels. I don't know what that means, but the Bible says that the people of God are going to judge angels. And obviously that's the fallen angels. I have no idea what that means. But this is the way the judicial process happened in those days. It was done by the family. And Jacob's past resume was flawless. He introduced his work record to Laban, 38 through 40. That's his argument, for which I believe that Laban would already know. Again, it's hard to read Laban. He's a man of many disguises. In fact, Hamilton agrees, as Jacob depicts, he served Laban in all kinds of changeable weather. Same way that Laban changed Jacob's wages ten times. Hebrew language here is really descriptive. The original audience would see Laban as one who is like a leopard who will not change his conniving spots. Basically, sin can only be changed by divine intervention. Laban is not going to change his ways. Jacob rightly states that he earned his family by way of hard work and God who is the ultimate judge and the one who inspires or stimulates dread. Verse 42. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. This is a story of God's people that will emerge from evil. This is a story of God's people who the world will not have the last say. This is a story of God's people that if you are a Christian, you have an eternal home. This is a story that this is not the best you get. This is a story that you are going to be with God of the universe forever. This is a story that the bondage of the world cannot keep you. It can't hold you. It has no sway over you. And this is a story that God in the end is going to win for his people. If you are truly a people of God, you are going to be brought into the promised land. It's a story where God's people, though for a season, though for a season that we will go through toils and snares and persecutions and things of that nature, for only a season, evil in this world will not have the last say on you. The question is, are you truly, me first, you second, are you truly one of God's people? That's the challenge in the church. If you don't preach this in the church, where are you going to preach it? You have to search your own heart. I have to search my own heart. Are you truly God's people? You, you, you'll hear that. Well, you know, that's the world. No, the, net, the wide road hearers are the people in the church that are not truly in the church. And you know, when you preach that today, you won't have a lot of people coming to the church. Because they don't want to, they, they look at some of the stories of Jesus and say, that's the world. No, that's the people that think they're in the church. And I think here, 
Jacob for 20 years under the tyrant of La- tyrancy of Laban is now taken out. Just like God's people will be taken out someday. And it's hard, Cindy, because, you know, we, we're in the world and the world infiltrates us. It really does. Verse 43 is typical of Laban. Even though God has rendered his decision declaring Jacob innocent, Laban still insists. Laban still insists. And, and Fogelman calls this statement jurisdictional fiction. In fact, we live in a world of jurisdictional fiction. What people think today is law or even rights when they contradict the mandates of God. Don't we live in a world of jurisdictional fiction today? Don't we live in a world of jurisdictional fiction? Woman being men or vice versa, marriage between the same sexes, reproduction rights without considering the unborn, all are jurisdictional fiction. That's the world we live in. We live in jurisdictional fiction. We live in made-up mandates by man. And it's not going to have the last say. The only jurisdiction in this world is by God. Anything else is jurisdictional fiction. If people turn around and say, this is good or this is evil, unless it lines up with the word of God, it is not. We live in a world of jurisdictional fiction. And then that's what Laban is. Laban in his own mind, he thinks he's right. The world today is putting mandates down that they think the world is right. And this is the problem today. And this is the problem we see with Laban. And that's why God has taken him out. And Laban, right, who who advocates these matters will be held liable. As we see here, the Bible is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So after Laban's Malachi, he now wants to cut a covenant and have a witness with Jacob. Verse 44, Hamilton depicts this a last-ditch effort to show his control over his family, which he doesn't have. Let's finish up the narrative, 45 through 54. Then Jacob took a stone and raised it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his relatives, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. And Laban called it Hagar Sahaduta. But Jacob called it Galid. Then Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore was named Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, may Yahweh watch between you and me when we're absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, if you take wives beside my daughters, also no man is with us. See, God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and a pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap, this pillar to me for harm. Two more, uh, two more verses. The God of Abraham, the God of Nabor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the dread of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, called his relatives to eat a meal. And they ate a meal and spent the night on the mountain. Matthew states in this treaty, we have a stone pillar between the witnesses, Jacob and Laban. It's a memorial if it's a peace treaty. Right, it's a pity of trees. But the Bible tells us, if at all possible, as much as lies within us, to live at peace with all men. And we, here we see that accomplished. But notice Jacob does not respond to Laban directly. He tells his relatives, get some stones. And both in Aramaic and Hebrew, they call the stone a pile of witness. Then Laban calls it Mizpah. Mispah meaning to watch, as the Lord would watch between the parties when they are apart. And then in verse 50, we see this ironic statement by Laban. He's saying, don't mistreat my daughters, which is the second part 
of the treaty. Notice like Hamilton depicts, he does not call his daughters Jacob's wives. He calls them his daughters who he has mistreated all along. Talk about taking the Lord's name in vain. He's been mistreating his daughters all along. All along. How many people today take the Lord's name in vain? Whether we hear it in a regular conversation by unbelievers, swearing by a God they don't even know. If Laban wanted to invoke God's name, he should have said, do not mistreat my daughters who I have my whole life. But Laban is at least a triple-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Laban also stipulates not to go into each other's neighborhoods, verse 52, or else there would be war. Laban is trying to protect himself from Jacob, but you know what, Charlie? He can never protect himself from God. Never. It's topped off by a community meal. The animals that Jacob sacrificed would be eaten. This would be reminiscent of Moses, for he had a covenant meal with Jethro. But both parties were honest there, but here we only have one honest party. Back in Genesis 28 and 20, Hamilton reminds us, God's words are fulfilled. He gave Jacob bread to eat and promised to bring him back home. Praise God. You know something? If you're a people of God, he's going to bring you home, man. Right now, really, I want to be honest. Are we not in Egypt? Are we not in Laban's care, the tyrants of the world today? Are we not the same? Miss Carolyn, do we live in a world that we're being governed by tyrants? We're being governed by this jurisdictional fiction? We're being governed by laws that are against the things of God? And you know something? Whoever does this is going to be held responsible for this. They are going to truly be held responsible for the things that they are pushing on God's people. And I, and I, 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 think, that, I, I think that we want to be careful not to kind of capitulate with this culture. Because we know the promises of God and yes and amen, all for the glory of God. Though the vision tarry, it will surely come. I want to, Jacob came to this place empty. He came to this place empty. But again, he left it with much spoil because it is only God who's able to bring something out of nothing. Because listen, if God is for you, no one can be against you. Uh, my New Testament, I want to go to Ephesians 4 for a second. just to. I'm not going to be able to exegete this whole thing, but I think this is important. Because this is, this is really quoting from the 68th Psalm. But I think it's a... I, I think... So how do we win the world today? You know, people say, well, we cower a lot. I mentioned that, me first, you second. But there's only one way, Sonny, to win the world today, and that's the gospel. That's the only way to win this world, is, to, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the thing is... If we don't understand what God has done in our life, if we don't know that God has brought, Kyle, that God has brought guys like me and you from death to life, because all of us deserve death, all of us deserve hell, all of us, me first, you second, right? But if we realize, if we really realize what God has done for us, if we really, really realize, Donna, that God has given us life when we don't deserve life, how can we not want to preach this to people? How can we not want to proclaim this word? Why are we so afraid? Colin, why are we so afraid to preach a message of life? What can they do to us? Ashley, I mean, think about this. Two Ashleys. I mean, the other Ashley's not here right now. But I'm saying, think about this. What can they do to us? Look. 400 years of bondage, God took them out. Under 20 years of labor, God took them out. So I want you to listen to the 68th Psalm, the way Paul proclaims this. And I think it lines up with our, with our 
with our sermon just a little bit. It's hard sometimes. I, I try to find these New Testament controls. But here's the other Ashley now. But let me start in verse 7. Now think about what we think about Jacob being in captivity with Laban. Think about the Jews being in captivity. And, and now think about this, starting in verse 7. Now this is the church now. This is the Old Testament church now turning into the New Testament church. So there's a different gifting. We, we don't get spoiled. They get spoiled. We get something else. Watch what we get. This is a gift. God gives them great spoil, gives them, you know, money and riches and cattle and, you know. But here's what God gives us. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth, heaven to earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so he might fill all things. He, now, here's the gifts. And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, teachers, for equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and the full knowledge to be the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, we are no longer, Terry, to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is ahead, that is Christ. This is great stuff. I'm going to show you how this lines up. This is really good. Let me say it, right? But it's God's word. But it really is. Watch this. This is a quote from the 68th Psalm. The theme of the Psalm, according to Graver, is that God fights and wins his people's battles in order that he might dwell with his people as king. So divine victory for the purpose of divine presence is the focus of the 68th Psalm. In other words, as one expositor depicts, God comes to rescue his people from the tyrants of the world. So they can be a right relationship to him. That's the 68th Psalm. So here, just like God, watch this, rescued his people out of Egypt, as Moses would be familiar with. God rescues Jacob from the tyrant Laban and actually has Laban make peace with God. In fact, as we have studied in Genesis, God has saved many of his people from the tyrants of that time and had them make peace with them, acknowledging his presence among them, So they're left with great spoil. When God's people left Egypt, as mentioned, they left with great spoil. When God saved his people from the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, he gave them spoil. But now, but now, he saves his people in Christ. He gives his people not monetary gifts per se, but spiritual gifts. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, because of Christ's ascension to the earth and then his ascension back to heaven, the resurrection qualifies Christ as the eternal giver of these gifts to the church. What a picture of God's grace. So today we have a people that are in captivity to the devil. They're in captivity just like they were in bondage to Egypt, just like they were in bondage to to Laban, to the Medes and the Persians. But now God has gifted us with the preaching of the gospel to bring people out of captivity, to bring people out of bondage. Those are all preaching and teaching gifts. It's those gifts only by the power of the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel can you be released from bondage. Otherwise, you are in the captive of the devil, able to do his will. Only by the gospel can you be freed from bondage. That's the gospel. That's the gifts that we have today. It's not monetary. It's not, 
It's not gold and silver and sheep and cattle. It's the treasure that God has given you to preach the gospel to a dying world who are on their way to hell. That's what God has given us. That's what that scripture depicts. I mean, yes, it was monetary and sheep and oxen, those, but now these gifts are preaching and teaching gifts which bring the salvation that was bought on Calvary's tree. God not only saves Miss Ashley number one and two, not only does he save, but he equips his people to bring his message bringing people to the knowledge of the true Terry who were held captive to do the devil and his will. But God frees people. He brings them out of bondage. In closing, Jacob was held captive by Laban, but God freed him and gave all that Laban had to him. And we ourselves were once held captive but God freed us from sin and death because somewhere in your life you heard the gospel. You heard the gospel that freed you from those chains of iniquity that were binding you. And that's exactly what God does in Christ. And that's why if God is, I don't care what give, if you have any type of gift to just speak, you don't have to be a pastor or be behind a pulpit or be an elder. But man, if you know the gospel, brother, we got to give it to everybody because we don't know who God's people are, man. People are in bondage. They're in chains. They're in Egypt. They're under Laban's control. And it's only marked the gospel that's going to free them. And it freed you. And this is when you see guys like Mark and myself and Harlan, even tears welling up because we knew we were in bondage. We knew what sin, how it had a grip on us. But it's only through the gospel, brother, that that we are set free. And you know what? In these words, Rachel, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Because, Gene, you know, otherwise we are chained up. But the gospel sets us free. And when I look at the Old Testament, and I look at Pharaoh and them guys, who set them free, Nick? God, by his grace. I'm going to pray and then we have a time and I know Terry and Dave are going to close out in a song, but we have a few minutes that Charlie, that we had discussed many, many months ago. Because when you hear a sermon, you need to reflect because sometimes we rush out of here. Listen, we'll be out here in 10 minutes. We can eat all the food we want. We'll watch the Giants beat the Cardinals later. But, but that's a story for another day. But I'm sorry, Miss Ashley. But, but, but this is a time in the service where we've heard the preach word, and we know the word. But as I'm going to pray for us, and then Charlie's just going to give us a few minutes of meditation just to be able to concentrate on what we heard the Bible says if we repent of our sins, Christ will forgive us our sins. And sometimes, Nick, you know, we come to service and we got so many things on our mind. We hear the word and we just rush out. But we like to do, after I pray, just a couple of minutes, Charlie, you just let us meditate on the world and on the word. You don't want to meditate on the world, right? Miss Ashley's going, Miss Ashley number two is going, no, no, I don't want to do that. We do that enough, right, Miss Ashley? But, but... Let me stand. Let's stand and I'll pray for you guys. Then we'll sit down and Charlie will give us a couple of minutes to meditate on what we heard today. And then Dave and Terry will take us home. Dear Lord, the beauty of the gospel is we don't know who God's people are. That's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that if we preach the word, if we witness the word, we don't know who God's people are. But we do know this. We have family members, we have friends, we have next-door neighbors that are held in captivity. Just like Laban, 
held Jacob in captivity for 20 years, just like the Egyptians held uh, the God's people in captivity for 400 years, just like the governments of this world are holding people into cap- in captivity. We know it's only the gospel that sets people free. So how can we not? I mean, we have family members. I mean, how can we not at least tell them something? Something. Because Harlan plants, Charlie waters, but only God grants the increase. You have nothing to lose. What can they do to you? Put you in captivity? See, the message is they're in captivity. We are free. Just speak to them about this sovereign king. I know it's not easy. And you know what? Like Linda always says, if sometimes you just, you've spoken and you just, just pray for them then. Pray that God will bring somebody that they will hear the word from them. Sometimes our family members don't hear it from us. But this is the clarion call for the gospel. We need the gospel. We need to give the gospel. We have family members in captivity to do the snare, to do the devil's will. It's crazy. It's too much at stake. So, first of all, I love you guys, man. You guys are man, how good you guys have been to Rachel and I, but I, I just want us to s- sit for two seconds, a few minutes, Charlie's just going to play. Just think about the stuff that, how serious this is. Because some people are going to wind up in bondage forever. And that's not going to be good. Jesus, Lord, please give us the boldness to preach and teach your word and witness your word to a world gone bad. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.